starting this new series today for a few weeks called Fields, uh, because Jesus said, look to the fields because they're white with harvest. He also said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And just for a few weeks, we want to rally around this idea that you and I have significant responsibility in the kingdom of God. It's the same language that you would use when you would ask somebody, what field of work are you in? And that's the question we want to ask one another here in this family. What field of harvest do you work in? If you'll take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Luke chapter 10. So it says in verse 1, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into the very town and place where he himself was about to go. So it says, After the Lord, that's Jesus, uh, he sent some 72 out. Now there may be a little asterisk next to uh, 72 there or a little number that tells you to go and look in the margin. And what it will tell you when you go and look in the margin is that some of the earliest manuscripts of Luke chapter 10 uh, have 72, which is what it is here in my Bible. And some of those early manuscripts have the number 70. Uh, but I think we can all agree whether it was 70 or it was 72, Jesus is sending out some workers, sending out his disciples. Now, Jesus has concentric circles of disciples, of followers. Uh, you see this in the scripture. He has the three. That's Peter, James, and John. Those three got to do things that the rest of the disciples did not get to do. They got to go up on top of the mountain where Jesus was transfigured and appeared with Moses and Elijah. They got to go into an inner room to watch Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. So Peter, James, and John, that's the first circle. Outside of that circle, including them, are the 12. That's the rest of what we know as the disciples. But the scripture here tells us that there's even another circle outside of the 12, including the 12, but more than the 12 of 72. So these people are committed to Jesus. These are people that Jesus trusts, but for whatever reason, they don't go with him as often as the 12 do. The 12 would follow him from Galilee up in the north all the way down to Jerusalem in the south. But the 72, maybe they had responsibility back at home. They couldn't travel. They didn't go with him as often. Maybe he didn't invite them to go with him, but he's sending out these 72 followers and they're going to go ahead of him to prepare the way for him. Now, where are they going? Uh, chapter 9, verse 51, so just a few verses before this, says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew that's where he was headed. That's why he came, so that he could come into Jerusalem, be betrayed, be tortured, and offer up his life on the cross. Uh, he's something he's not looking forward to, but it's the purpose for which God has sent him. And so he set his face like stone towards Jerusalem. Everything is headed there. And he's sending them on ahead into towns and villages so that when he comes into those towns and villages and he proclaims the kingdom of God, there's, the way has already been made for them. Verse 2, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So two facts in verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, fact number one. Fact number two, the laborers are few. 
Now, the harvest was very important to them in this agricultural society. In fact, they had a giant celebration at the end of the agricultural cycle called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, where they would celebrate all the harvest that had taken place. But in this culture, in first century Palestine, it wasn't just one harvest. There were actually many harvests over an eight-month eight period. Period. Uh, harvest number one was from mid-March to mid-April. That's a harvest for barley. I know you guys are big fans of barley, and so that would have been a very important time for you. Uh, the harvest for wheat was mid-April to mid-May. Harvest for grapes, mid-May to mid-July. Harvest for other summer fruits, mid-July to mid-August. And the harvest for olives, also a very important one, mid-August to mid-September. So the harvest is coming wave after wave. For eight months in their culture, the harvest was something that they knew and was very important to them. But Jesus isn't sending them into the physical harvest. He's sending them into the waves of spiritual harvest. And what is a spiritual harvest? It's people like you and I coming into the kingdom of God through salvation in Jesus. People like you and I coming into the kingdom of God through salvation in Jesus. And this was the message that they were to proclaim in these villages and towns that Jesus sent them to. But the workers are few. Jesus, in chapter 9, at the beginning of chapter 9, actually sends out the 12, that circle of disciples. He sends them out with very similar instructions. Now, just at the beginning of the next chapter, he's doing it with the 72. And you wonder, well, why would, would he do that? Why? Because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. A similar idea is found in John chapter 4 when Jesus is talking to the woman uh, of Samaria at the, the well and he says the fields are white with harvest. You know, your life is filled with fields. Houston is a field. Houston is a potential harvest. The week before Easter, I was having lunch with a friend of mine at Papacitos and everybody said, Amen. And, uh, but we're uh, watching our trim figures, and so we both uh, order salads. And so I get a salad, and he gets the same salad. I'm just getting chicken on mine, but he wants an upgrade. He's feeling kind of special that day, and so he wants an upgrade. So he doesn't just want beef. He wants like an upgraded beef, you know what I'm talking about? So not like the least of your meat. I want a little bit better. And the waitress says, absolutely no problem. It'd just be a little what? A little upcharge, a little extra charge. And he says, that's not a big deal. And so she goes away and, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes later, here comes our salad and mine's perfect just the way I want it. And his salad is, it, it looks great, but there's no meat on it. Not only did he not get the, the upgrade in beef, he didn't get any meat. Um, and he looked at her and as soon as he looked at her, she knew what he was going to say. And she said, don't worry, they're bringing it out. And about that second later, here comes like a sizzling hot platter of, of steak. Not cut up, just a whole steak right there. And they set it down next to, uh, to him. And he's looking at her kind of confused. And she said, don't worry, this is just how we do it here. And we're like, okay, you're great, absolutely. Um, and so he starts cutting up his steak, you know, and putting it on the salad and eating the salad. And uh, we are there for a while and it's time for us to leave. And so we asked the waitress, thank you so much. Can we have the bill? We're ready to go. And, and so she goes back into wherever waiters and waitresses go back to hang out. I don't know. They got some secret place where they ignore you back there. If any waitresses and waiters are here, I want to know about that place. It's like a secret fun place that you guys go. Um, and, uh, and so she goes back. And, and instead of her reemerging 
uh, it's the, the manager of the restaurant. And so I thought, well, maybe we feel like we're like extra special today. This is fantastic. And so we're arguing as she's coming about who's going to pick up the bill. And he's making his case and I'm making my case. Well, I stopped making a case at some point. And while he's jabbering about why he should be get it, I just pull out my wallet and credit card. So when she walks over, I don't even take it from her. I just hand it to her because that's how ballers roll. And, uh, and she, she goes back and, uh, and a few minutes later... Here comes our waitress, but when she's coming over, she looks like somebody very important to her has died. And I thought, oh my gosh, my credit card got declined uh, because, you know, maybe I shopped at Target and Target got hacked and who knows. You know how they shut your credit cards sometimes. And I got money on there. That's what I want to say. She's coming. I got money on there. Uh, It's not my fault, uh, but I'm embarrassed. But when she gets over, she says, I'm so sorry. If I had known that they were going to do that, I never would have let you get it. And, uh, and so I open it up and there's like $9 salad and then there's another $9 salad and then there's a $27 steak. And, uh, and I'm trying to think, like, what's the right reaction here to this? But it's the week before Easter. So I say she's mortified because she knows on a, at a normal table I'm going to pay the bill. Or first I'm going to fight about it, but then I'm going to pay whatever they're going to make me pay, but it's going to come out of her cut. And I said, here's the deal. I'm going to happily pay this. Not even going to put up a fight. It's obviously not what we wanted, but I know it wasn't your fault. So I'm going to happily pay this. And I'm going to more than happily give you the gratuity that you deserve. But you got to at least think about coming to church with us this Sunday on Easter. You don't have to come. I'm not putting any pressure on you. You just got to think about it. And I pull out of my wallet one of the cards that we have out in the lobby that has our, the name of our church and our service times and our website and all that information that you'd want. And I hand it to her and I just said, you got to think about it. And she said, deal, I'll think about it. And then you pay your bill. And, um, <laughs> and so I did. Why? Because Houston is not just a place that we live and we eat. It's a field. That's why you don't want to explode at your neighbors when they don't put their trash cans up immediately after the trash truck comes. Because it's not just the place that you live, it's your field. That's why when you go to work, you're not just going to earn a paycheck, you're going to a field. That's when you get home from work, men. You're not just going to your home, you're going to a field, a place where there is a potential for harvest. But... The workers are few. Why are the workers few? Workers are few because life just has this way of putting blinders on us, doesn't it? You know what blinders are for? Blinders are to put on horses so that they don't get spooked. My parents have horses, and a few years ago I was riding with my dad when we were up there visiting and sharing this nice father-son moment because they used to just have one horse, but they wanted to be able to ride together. And so they got a second horse, and they got it for free. Now, um, you just paid for the sermon today, but I'm going to give you Sermon Plus. I'm going to upgrade you, and I'm going to give you something that's not really helpful to what we're talking about, but it will be helpful in your life. If anybody ever tries to give you an animal for free, you say no. You just do. Because if that animal were worth having, they would have kept it. Now they're telling you, oh, well, we just don't have room, all that. If they love that animal and that animal is awesome, they would make room. But that animal is not. It's broken on the inside or the outside, and that's why they want to pawn it off 
on you. So if somebody's trying to give you a cat right now, you should be offended because that friend doesn't really love you the way that they should. Don't take animals for free. There's something wrong. Warning, buyer beware. But my parents, they only got the sermon at their church. They didn't get sermon plus at their church, so they took this free horse. So I'm on the good horse, and my dad's on the free horse. Her name is Dolly, and we're riding along, and we're having this really nice father-son moment. And you know how when uh, something happens real fast, but your brain makes it seem like it's going really slow? Well, really quickly, there's some kind of animal that we come up on, a rabbit or something, makes a lot of noise and runs away. And then in slow motion, I see the free horse about 20 or 30 yards ahead of us. And I look over and I can see my dad still in sitting position, but in the middle of the air. Because that's why you put blinders on a horse so it doesn't get spooked, so it only is able to see and concentrate on what's right in front of it. And life does that to us, doesn't it? Your busyness has put blinders on you to say, this is what's right in front of you. This is all that you need to focus on. Uncertainty, a lot of question marks in your life has put blinders on us to say, there's so many unanswered questions. Let's just focus on what's right in front of us. Demands, responsibility, put blinders on us. And what Jesus is asking us to do today is to to look up and to look out. What we do when we look up and we look out is we see a field where the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is greater than the number of workers. And it didn't say the harvest is greater than the number of Christians. It just says that the harvest is greater than the number of people who are willing to work. We're busy, we have responsibility. I remember Amanda and I were doing college ministry and we were responsible for all these college students and they came to us one day and they said, you know, we love to do Bible study together. We love to hang out together, but we really want to minister to our community together. Can you set something up? And that sounded great. I mean, that's the exact kind of thing you'd want to hear from the group that you lead. And so I'd read that a really great opportunity for ministry is to go to a laundromat on a Saturday morning and pay for people's loads of laundry. It's a great conversation starter. And so I casted the vision for these college students and and they were like, that sounds great. And we set the date and the time. It wasn't super early, nine o'clock on a Saturday morning. We couldn't go later than that because that's when all the people were going to be at the laundromat. And they're pumped. They're ready. I go to the bank and I just get more quarters than you've ever seen in your life. And so Amanda and I show up at the church parking lot. That's where we're going to meet. And um, nine o'clock rolls around. Nobody's there. 9.05 comes and one of our other volunteers, an adult volunteer, kind of the grandma to all the college students, she's there. And so it's the three of us. And 9.10 gets here. And 9.15 and 9.20 and 9.25, no college students show up. And about 25 minutes on a Saturday morning is about all I'm willing to, uh, to give of my time uh, when nobody bothers to show up. And so I just start getting in the car. And they're like, wait a second, wait a second. Aren't we going to go to the laundromat? And I'm like, no, we're not going to the laundromat. They're first thing, you're a terrible minister. Uh, why? And I said, because if we go, the ministry will have gotten done, and they would have done it by proxy. They would have felt like 
Some ministry got done even though they didn't show up. But what they need to learn at this point in their life is that if they don't show up, ministry does not get done. Because that's what we like to do. We like to be a part of things that are really getting done, uh, things done in Jesus' name, but we don't want to actually have to be the one to do it. We want to do it by proxy. I'll send my pastor in my place. I will send my pastoral staff in my place. I tithe, I give, I show up, I support. So by them doing the work, I'm doing the work. I'll send my community group leader. I'll send another ministry leader that uh, I really believe in. And because they're doing it somehow in connection, because I'm connected to them, I'm also connected to the work that they are doing. But Jesus is not sending out representatives. He's sending out you and he's sending out me. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Two facts. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, somebody in here is going to go, that's my job. I'm the prayer person. They're going to go and I'm going to pray. Praying. Who's going to argue against praying? Praying's a good thing. I trapped you, preacher. Uh, I'm going to be the person who stays but prays. See, it even rhymes. It's beautiful. Stays and prays. But he's telling this, pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he'd send out workers into a harvest. To who? To people he is sending into the harvest. You pray for more workers as you go into the field because that's when prayer takes on a whole new level of authority and power and a whole new level of work. Because what do you think is more powerful? What do you think generates more faith? The 73rd person who said, hey, I'm not in the 72, but I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna pray. Or the 72nd person who actually went. The 73rd person who stayed to pray Their prayer sounded like, God, bless them as they go into all those villages. Be with them as they get there. Help their words when they get there. The 72nd person's prayer, God, I'm going into this village. I've never been to this village before. It's totally strange. I need you to be with me right now. I'm knocking on this person's door. I don't know who these people are. They're going to either maybe greet me with a hug. That's best case scenario. Or they're going to punch me in the face. That's middle case scenario. They're going to stab me to death. I'm not really sure. I need you to let it be option A. I'm going to stand out in the middle of this main street and and I'm going to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come in in Jesus. I've never stood out in in a main street and and preached to a bunch of strangers as they're in the market. God, I need you to help me. I need you to be with me. What do you think required more faith? The 72nd person who actually went or the 73rd person that just stayed and prayed? Your prayers are going to take on a whole new level when you take on a whole new level of responsibility. When you start walking into your office and saying, I'm not just responsible for my job description. I want to take on spiritual responsibility for all the people on this floor of my office. I want to be their pastor. There's no other pastor here. There's no person that's representing Jesus here. So I'm going to pastor these people. I'm going to walk with them when they're hurting. I'm going to be with them when they're sick. I'm going to encourage them when things are going to what, going well. I'm going to have spiritual conversations. I'm going to help them in any need. Your prayers for your work will take on a whole new level of importance because your faith 
is tied to the responsibility that you are willing to take on. I remember when I was in college, my pastor asked me to host for him for one night a, a, a pastor from uh, North uh, West India. His name was Nazir Masi. He was visiting America. My pastor was hosting him for a couple of weeks. And uh, Pastor Nazir was leading this great church, not just one church, but a church that had 60 different churches. This man was responsible for 60 different churches in Northwest India. And he was coming to America to tell the story of all that God was doing in those 60 churches. And in that region, he's a pastor of a whole region. Can you imagine that? Not just a city, a whole region. And and to tell their story and also to, to ask, invite people to help support the great work that they were doing. And so my pastor couldn't actually be with him this one particular night. And Pastor Nazir was going to speak at this church. And he said, will you drive him there? And I'm like, absolutely. I'll do whatever you want. I'll, I'll do it. And so I get in the car with Pastor Nazir. And uh, Pastor Nazir was not one to make a lot of small talk, you know, just shoot the breeze. You know, he wasn't like, uh, hey, so tell me about the Rockets and are they doing well? And you know, it was like I used up all of my polite conversation in the first 10 minutes, and then we just said an awkward silence uh, for the rest of the time. But Pastor Nazir was not afraid of that awkward silence because every few minutes I'd hear him mumble. And the first time he did it, I, I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. And he said, oh, I'm not talking to you, brother. I'm like, thank you very much. Um, I, I was just making sure. Just, uh, I'll drive and be awkward and sit here. A few minutes later, he... he say something again. And, you know, I learned my lesson the first time through humiliation, so I just let it happen. And, and he did it enough where I could really start kind of tuning my ear to what he was saying. And he was saying things like, amen, and yes, God, and I will. Yes, Lord, I agree. It was like this guy had one ear on earth in the other ear in the throne room of God. And I remember thinking after I dropped him off that night, man, I wanna be like that. Or maybe you, you hear stories like that and you're like, man, I wish, I wish my relationship with God was like that. But to get that, you gotta take on the responsibility of 60 different churches. You don't gotta, you don't get that kind of relationship with God when you wake up in the morning and go, oh God, what do you want me to do? I think I'm gonna sit on the couch. Oh God, yes Lord, I will go to McDonald's. Some of you are waiting for your faith to take off. You just feel like you're in a desert season right now where you've got all the desire, but it just doesn't seem to be any streams of living water. And what I wanna ask you is maybe the answer is not more reading of your Bible and more praying. Maybe the answer is more working and more responsibility because your faith ultimately will be tied to the responsibility that you're willing to take on. Some of us are stuck in sin. And I say stuck in sin, I mean, you're trapped in sin and you want out of it, but you can't get out of it. You've told people about it and they're praying for you, but they're praying for you like they prayed for you then and then they forgot about you and you've got reminders, sticky note reminders laid, laid around, but you just can't seem to free yourself. I wonder if it's because you're bored and if you just were more busy working in the field that God has called you to, maybe you would have less time for sin. I don't know that that's the answer, 
but it may be the answer for you. If you would redirect all the energy that you are using for sin and keeping that sin a secret into kingdom responsibility, you may be amazed at what God can do through your life. Verse three, Luke chapter 10. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, this is verse two, to send out laborers into his harvest. Verse three, go your way. Notice that each pair had a unique assignment. He sent them to different villages and different towns. And he said, go your way. You are responsible for your field and not someone else's. You are responsibility for the assignment that God has given you and not the assignment that God has given someone else. Which means two things. Number one, it means don't get jealous of someone else's assignment. You know who I'm jealous of right now? Uh, pastors who are called to Southern California. There are people who are doing the exact same thing that I'm doing right now, but they're doing it in Laguna Beach with the Pacific Ocean just a minute away. And it's just not fair. I don't know why. I mean, Houston is just like Southern California, except for if you took all the good stuff and, uh, and then, then it would be Houston. I mean, the people are better. The food is better. Texas is wonderful, yada, yada, yada. But it's Southern California. It's amazing. And, uh, and there are pastors there. But I'm not jealous. In Jesus' name, I'm not. I am. Pray for me. But you can't get jealous of someone else's assignment. And you can't talk someone in and force someone else into working in your field. Because we do this. Can you imagine Jesus sending them out, the 72 in pairs? But they were generally headed in the same direction. So you got a couple of them at least walking down the same road until eventually they'll go in different directions. But as they're walking along one pair and another pair, they're like, where are you guys going? And they're like, we're going to Cana. They're like, you're going to Cana? We're going to Jericho. Man, you don't know, why are you going to Cana? Jericho's where it's at. Jericho's more strategic, it's larger. Jericho's more historic. Remember the battle of Jericho? Yeah, it's not exactly the same city, but it's kind of in the general area. It's got some history. Jericho's got the bigger industry. Jericho is the prime field. Why don't you come to Jericho with us and then all the people from Jericho, they'll go to Cana, tiny little Cana, little village Cana. Let's, let's concentrate on Jericho. That's, that's where we need to go. But the assignment for the one pair was to go to Cana. But sometimes we do that. We get so passionate about what God has called us to, we look down on other people because he hasn't called them to that. And we call it strategic and we call it better. But at the end of the day, it's just what responsibility has God put in your hand? Let it be in your hands and then honor what God has put in someone else's hands. How sad would it be if we talked someone out of their Jesus-given kingdom responsibility because we told them ours was more important? Go your way. And then he says, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. You know, the scripture is always referring to God's people and Jesus' followers as, as sheep and I had never heard this phrase in my whole life, but I heard it twice in this last week, that sheep were born looking for a place to die. 
Isn't that terrible? Just to describe how dumb they are. They're just born on their way to death. And a shepherd's job is to keep them from dying because that's where they will find themselves. I never heard that before, but then two people quoted, two different people quoted it to me this week. The sheep are vulnerable and they need a shepherd. Sheep are vulnerable and they need some guidance. And, and he says, not just sheep, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. He said, I'm sending you out as lambs among the wolves, even more vulnerable. And look how he sends them out vulnerable. Verse four, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greeting no one on the road. What he's doing is he's sending them out without any just in case. We love the just in case. The, well, if it doesn't work out, I got this just in case. He sends them out without a money bag. Because here's what I would do. If Jesus was sending me to a village and uh, I didn't, Um, know anything about that village and I'm just expecting the hospitality of other people to um, host me. Be like, well, what if I get in there and nobody, uh, nobody wants to host us? Well, I got money. I brought money. We can just pay for ourselves a room at the end, just in case. He said, I want to, I'm sending you out without knapsack. I mean, what if we pick up supplies along the way? And we want to hold on to those. They don't even get that just in case they need it. They don't take an extra pair of sandals. What if their pair of sandals breaks and they're walking all this way and they're going to have to walk barefooted? There's no just in case. He's sending them out as lambs without a backup plan. They can't bail themselves out. But he's sending them out light and able and ready. I was reading this biography of, about Lewis and Clark and I think of all the characters in American history, I, I think I identify the most with Lewis and Clark, meaning if I had to follow somebody, I would have probably been there in St. Louis signing up to go on their expedition as they were kind of the first ones to explore the West. And, and so I was reading this biography and I noticed as they're sailing up and, and rowing up the Missouri River that it, it would mention that, and Meriwether Lewis sat down at his desk. And the first two or three times I didn't really notice it. And, and then the third or fourth, fifth time, I started thinking, this guy took a desk with him to explore the West? Because then you look up pictures of their boat, like they didn't have some huge boat with some steam engine. First, they're going up the Missouri River against the current. They've got a sail, but if the wind's not blowing in that direction, then they've got uh, oars to row the boat. Now, Lewis and Clark are not rowing the boat. They're, they're underlings, the people that they're paying, I'm sure minimum wage, are the ones rowing the boat. And if you're that guy, the first week, you don't care that this guy's desk is making it hard for you to row the boat up the Missouri River. Maybe even the second week, you're just happy to be there. You're on this historic moment. The government's paying you. Maybe you didn't have a job before. But I'm guessing on week three and four and ten that they're thinking, you know, this would be a lot easier if this guy hadn't brought his desk on the boat. The first time that they park the boat and get out, then they have to unload the boat, all their supplies. And oh, by the way, we got to get Lewis's desk off the boat. And now we're leaving in the morning. Let's wake up early to get his desk back on the boat. They get into Montana. Now there's a little bit of waterfalls because they're getting into the mountains there. They'd actually have to portage their boat, which means they'd have to get out of the boat, take all their supplies, hike it up over the waterfall. Then they'd have to hike back down, take the boat, hike it up and around the waterfall, put the boat back in, and they did that with his desk. 
Now, at some point, you're thinking, can you not ride on your lap, dude? Here's a piece of wood. I'm feeling like it would accomplish the same general purpose. This desk is unnecessary for the mission for which we have been called. It's the same thing that Jesus told Martha at the end of this chapter when she's complaining that her sister is just sitting at Jesus' feet and she's doing all this work behind the scenes. He says, you're burdened and you're worried and you're anxious about a lot of things, but only one thing is necessary. Some of us really do wanna go and work out in the field that God has called us, but we are so burdened down by so much that is unnecessary. And Jesus just sends them out as lambs without backup plans. And really, honestly, he kind of sends them out without being qualified. You'd think if you were Jesus that you'd wanna have a pretty significant application process before you said to somebody, listen, you go and you prepare the way for me. You were going as an extension of me. But just in the chapter before, chapter number nine, the disciples, you know what they're arguing about? In the presence of Jesus, who is the hallmark of humility and meekness for the whole world, they're arguing about which one of them is the best, which one of them is the greatest, which one of them ranks number one. And then just a few verses before chapter 10 starts, Jesus is in a village of Samaria and they reject him. They're like, we don't want you. You're on your way to Jerusalem. Get out of here. We don't want any part of Jerusalem. Just get out of here. And James and John, two of the three and two of the 12, two of the 72, James and John, they say to Jesus, hey, do you want us to pray that God would send fire down and just consume all of those people? Because we will. And these are the people that Jesus sends out to represent him. Listen, Jesus loves you enough to trust you with his reputation. Now, if you're thinking about your life, just like I'm thinking about my life, I'm thinking that's a bad short-term investment, but Jesus doesn't make short-term investments. He's into the long arc of your life, a long-term investment. And he thinks at the end of it, he will be glad that he put his reputation in your hands. You may not feel qualified. You may not have everything in order. You may not feel like, man, my life is... Is I got some things that I'm not that proud of. I don't know. Let me figure those out before I go and work in the field. But I love what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says. It says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Some of you are thinking, I got to get clean, cleaned up before I go into the field. But the obeying of going and working in the field will clean you up. Obeying the truth will purify your soul. So don't wait to go work in your field until you feel clean. Go work in your field and it will clean you. And Jesus sends them as lambs without backup plans and he sends them out without them being the best possible representatives. Then verse five through 12, this is what it says and we'll be done. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. 
and remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves wages, but do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. You know, most of our obstacle is, is, is that you've lived in Houston for a long time. And you're thinking, there's no harvest here. Churches are shrinking instead of growing. Things, buildings that used to be churches are now CVSs and parking lots that used to be full, they're not full anymore. There's no harvest in Houston. Some of you are thinking, there's no harvest on my street. Pretty sure that I'm the only one who came to church today. There's no harvest in my apartment complex. There's no harvest in my office. But I, I love what Jesus said. He said, whether you're received, and here are the instructions, or you're not received, here are the instructions. Nevertheless, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God has come near. You have a field that you are responsible for, an assignment from God. And whether you are received in that field or you are rejected, the facts are still the facts. The kingdom of God is here. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So let's go to work. Let's pray. God, we see what you've laid out in front of us. God, we thank you for trusting us even though we are not trustworthy and we just admit that up front. Before we take on this assignment, before we take on any more responsibility, we just want you to know that we're not perfect. We want you to know that, well, you already know yet the call is still the same. So we look up and we look out today. We look up from what's just in front of us and we look out onto the fields that you've called us to. We wanna go and work. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? Our prayer and ministry team is gonna come forward and take their places. Because every week we finish our services with a time of ministry and prayer because Jesus said that God's house is a house of prayer and we take that very seriously. At the same time, as people are coming forward for ministry and prayer, we have people who are headed back to the access room. Access room is out in the lobby to my right and to your left, you can't miss it. And if you're here this morning and you're not confident that you have received salvation into the kingdom of God through Jesus, have you admitted your sin? Have you believed in the name of Jesus and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? And are you willing to commit your life to him? If you're here this morning and you're like, I'm not sure that I've done that. I'm not sure that I'm in the kingdom of God. Then that's the place that you wanna go because you can leave with assurance. You won't have had time to do a bunch of stuff to earn your way to God, but you can still leave with assurance because that's not how we get into the kingdom of God. 
So as people are coming forward for prayer, you just slip out and you head on back there. There are people already there now who are praying for you, who are excited to have a conversation about you taking one step closer to Jesus. For the rest of us, this is a time of prayer. And if uh, we started talking about fields, we started talking about looking up and looking out, some field immediately came to your mind. And if that happened, I want you to come forward and pray today for two reasons. Number one, when Jesus says we pray together, it's powerful. For two or more are gathered in my name, whatever they ask, it will be done for them. So there's power in praying for your field with someone else. Also, you'll feel commissioned when you leave. It won't just be like, oh yeah, that's something I should do. You'll have a holy mandate on your life because you prayed today for the field that God has called you to. If there's anything else in your heart, that's what this time of prayer is for. If you're sick, we'd love to pray for you in Jesus' name. We believe God can intervene. So God, we pray that you would answer these prayers according to your name and for our good and for your glory. Amen and amen. Let's worship together and you come and pray.